in logistics, okay? Freaking logistics, man. Ready to talk logistics? But how? It can't be done. We should probably figure out some logistics. The best customer experience is I need something. I go to where I think I can get it. It tells me that it's there and I can get it in a period of time that I want. That's Joe McIntyre, director of supply chain at Unibrands. A serial acquirer of e-commerce brands, Unibrands uses data and technology to operate and scale brands globally. Joe began his logistics career at Dick's Sporting Goods, followed by logistics and HR roles at Lidl and a station operations manager role at Amazon. In 2021, Joe received his MBA from UNC. Upon graduation, Joe began his current role at Unibrands. On today's episode, Joe discusses the strategy behind Unibrands' tagline of buy, build, boost, how football and supply chain have more in common than you might think, and much more. Really hope you enjoy this conversation. But first, a brief word from our sponsor. This podcast is powered by the team at Stored. Turn your supply chain into a competitive advantage. Go to Stored.com to learn more. I'm your host, Alex Kent, Director of Sales at Stored, and this is Supply Chain Therapy. I am your host, Alex Kent from Stored, here today with Joe McIntyre, Director of Supply Chain at Unibrands. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Great to have you on the show, and uh, how are you? Thanks so much, Alex. I appreciate you having us on. I am doing great. It's turned into late spring, summer where I'm at. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, let's dive right in. Tell me about uh, your current role. Tell me about Unibrands and and what you guys are doing. Yeah. So Unibrands, we are a company that is focused on looking at micro e-commerce brands and how we can really unlock their potential and bring full value to them. I think one of the ways that I can explain it super easy is on the front end, we look at companies who fit our values and fit the quality of product that we're looking for, bring them in through acquisition to our portfolio and onto our platform. And then we look to essentially build and boost them on the back end to unlock the potential that was there through either our expertise, some of our resources that we have available to us, and just generally from the technology platform and the people that we've brought into our team to help. As director of supply chain, what are what are you in charge of day-to-day basis? I'm sure it's, you know, one minute you're focused on this, the next minute you're focused on something else and hopefully not putting out too many fires, but, but that is part of it, right? Yeah, that is probably a better, more concise answer than what I'm about to give you. But generally, day-to-day, my team is obsessing over, do we have the right stuff in the right quantities at the right place at the right time so that we can have that supply continuity for our brands to grow, the value proposition that that we're bringing to to the brands that we have. And really what I'm doing with that and with my team on a day-to-day basis is I'm there to help support them with those decisions and help them think through, okay, we're about to do something that's going to impact us six months from now. Are we buying the right amount? Have we thought through the decision we're about to make? And more often than not, bringing my expertise from where I've made the wrong decision to help them make the right one going forward. But more broadly, what we're doing is we're building out a supply chain network that's all of the buzzwords, right? Like it's a it's a 400 level class in master's level program on buzzwords, right? But we're trying to build a supply chain that's resilient. We're trying to build a supply chain that's flexible. We're trying to build one that's scalable and we're trying to build one that's efficient. And right now, more than anything else, we're trying to build one that's adaptable and agile. I mean, every day is different. You have a different port that's congested. You have a different supply base that is being impacted by macroeconomic events, by lingering effects of COVID, whatever it may be. And for someone like us who is essentially adding complexity in with every acquisition we make, building out a team and building out a network that helps us be all of those buzzwords ultimately is what we're trying to do. Yeah. 
That's awesome. And, and obviously, you, you've had some past experience with some major organizations. How did you get into supply chain? I always like to ask people this because here you are day to day running the running the show, You know, making sure you have the right amounts, right place, right time, and you're planning in advance. But how did you get started in this industry? And, and kind of tell me a little bit more about your background. Yeah, I, it was a little bit serendipitous, I guess. So ultimately, I ended up here from a bunch of ego checks and aha moments that I had through my graduate <laughs> career and through through the beginning of, of my professional life. But I started out going to college thinking I was going to be an industrial engineer. Um, so efficiency process, that was always something that appealed to me. I just thought I was way better at math than I really was. So showed up to college, realized calculus in college is way different and not as fun as I thought it was in high school uh, for a myriad of different reasons. Um, but I had a good friend from growing up that I went to college with that was in the business school. And he told me about the supply chain program, said it sounded a lot like what I liked about industrial engineering, but way less math and way more people. And I said, that sounds good to me. So I started taking courses in that. Uh, and that's what I ended up getting my degree in moved into supply chain, thought I was going to do a lot more on the demand, forecasting, planning side of it. I had a mentor very early on in my career who I did a co-op with that said, hey, you could come back and do an internship with us again your next summer, but why don't you go do something that you think you don't want to do because you might not like it, and then you'll know. So I went and worked in transportation, and I loved it. And that was the first five years of my career. And then from there, I got a couple cool opportunities to do some different things in different areas of the supply chain around systems, around distribution and fulfillment, specifically small cent in HR, realized that I really love supply chain. So came back to this. And yeah, all of that has kind of built into where we are now. And it's it's been a, a story that's been fun to reflect on and a fun to tell. Um, it's not it's unique to me, but I don't think it's that different from that many people that end up in supply chain. When we interview people for roles on our team, that's my favorite question to ask. So why do you want to work in supply chain or how did you end up here? And usually it does not start with, I grew up wanting to be a supply chain analyst. That's right. Um, so it, it's fun to hear that's those right. stories. Um, and I, I'm glad I got to share mine. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Well, obviously, you know, great background and, and it's always crazy to hear how, how people get from, you know, oh, I started here, thought thinking I wanted to do this and now I, I end up in supply chain and, um, you know, you end up dealing with all the different functions that your background was dealing with already. Tell me a little bit about your, your supply chain strategy, Unibrand supply chain strategy. You know, what do you guys look for and, and how do you guys approach it? One of the things that resonated with me really early on when I joined Unibrands was our vision and this tagline that we have, which is buy, build, boost. And the supply chain comes in on the build and the boost portion of that. So we work in a very interesting environment where we are acquiring these micro brands and bringing them onto our platform to help grow them. And one of the things that I find cool about it, right, is we're not making distress buys. We're buying brands that are already really good at what they do. They just need a little boost, right? A little extra here, a little extra there, or it's someone who's ready to move on to the next thing because they're a serial entrepreneur, right? And so our strategy really is built around like, how do we support rapid growth for those brands and how do we scale them? Because when someone wants to sell their company to us and wants or wants to come and make their company part of our portfolio, that's what we're selling to them, right? The ability to grow and the ability to scale. We're saying, hey, there's something that you've done and we want to build upon that and take you to the next point. So when we think about our strategy within supply chain, that's what we're focused on. So for me, that starts with my team having the right knowledge and the right expertise, which is critical because we have to move fast but we got to move smart, right? So 
we can't work in a traditional M&A structure where it's like, okay, we've made the acquisition and in three years, everything will be integrated. Like in three years, you know, we're a completely different environment than we are right now. We're working on like weeks. And so when I think about that, it's really important for us to know about that knowledge piece I talked about. And when I think about knowledge, there's three buckets, right? There's what you know, there's what you know that you don't know. And then there's the third bucket, which is all the stuff that you don't know that you don't know. And we, as humans, well, I mean, I'll make this broad statement as humans. I think most of us like to think that that first bucket's the biggest. My biggest bucket of knowledge is all the stuff that I know, which is just fundamentally not true. It actually goes the opposite direction. On the grand scheme of things, there are so many things we don't know. But the cool thing is the first two buckets, right? What you know and what you know that you don't know are the ones you can take action against. And so as a company, we're a little bit over a year old at this point. And so we're still building out a lot of our overall supply chain and operation strategy. So my approach to our supply chain and my approach with our team is identifying what do we know and what do we for sure know that we don't know. And then from there, let's focus on spending our time, our energy and our stress on figuring out how we solve that, right? Either how do we reinforce what we know and do that well, or how do we fix the gap on what we don't know and what we can't do right now? And we're trying to do that through internal processes, through good partnerships, through building out networks that help us solve those challenges and help us do it fast. One of my managers I had in a previous role told me like, I was stressing about something, I can't remember what it was at this point, but you know, we work in operations. It's not a matter of if something's going to go wrong, it's a matter of when it's gonna go wrong. So your goal should be not to solve everything, right? Like don't boil the ocean, but figure out how to minimize the impact when it does end up going wrong. And I've carried that with me for a long time for a lot of different reasons, but it's super applicable with what we're doing at Unibrands because as, like I said before, as we bring brands into our portfolio, each acquisition is a completely new supply chain, has its own nuances, has its own quirks. It may be coming with a 3PL network. It may not. It may have really good supplier relationships. It may not. It may have really good processes. It may have no processes. And we understand that, but we can't anticipate every single thing that's coming. And so we need to figure out how do we build a repeatable process for ourselves. And we also need to be aware that we're not going to do that overnight, right? So, you know, long story short, we got to know what we know, we got to know what we don't know. And that sets us up to be as prepared as possible for like the stuff we can't anticipate. And then we can really put the focus and move there because the rest of it is, is working. It's repeatable process that's happening over and over. Yeah, I I mean, I imagine that going back to the selling point a little bit of, you know, okay, I'm a brand owner, I've got a a water bottle brand, and you know, I've scaled it up to x amount of revenue, I want to take it to the next step. And that's where you guys come in, right? Like you are, hey, we have the operational expertise. Let's, you know, here's what we're going to do with your supply chain. Here's how we're going to grow the brand and, and continue that growth, right? Yeah. And more often, not more often than not, but what we're seeing increasingly, right, as we're growing, we're also finding brands that are larger and they're coming with more expertise also. So it may not be, hey, from a supply chain standpoint, here's value we can bring. It could be some other aspect of our business where we really can bring bang for a buck is optimizing something else, right? Cutting down your administrative overhead, optimizing your listing, whatever that may be. On the supply chain side, we actually think you dovetail nicely with what you're doing versus what we're doing. So why don't we add you in? We'll make some best in breed practices here, or you you are bringing something in that fills a gap for us. So there's a partnership both ways that can happen sometimes there as well. And that's been, I think, what's been happening over the last couple of months that's been really fun and interesting for us to see as our supply chain team. We've grown pretty significantly within our team from an operations and supply chain strategy standpoint. And some of that growth has has come because we've made some acquisitions that 
brought some really great talent with them. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, all in in part of building that that resilient, flexible, and, and scalable supply chain process that you were talking about earlier. Your consumer, your user, right? Obviously, you know, you're built, you're bringing these brands in. They have a wide variety of products. You guys have a portfolio of products that, that you're selling. Certainly, all different types of demographics that are buying those products and and different ways to get them. Um, tell me a little bit about you know how you're solving that customer experience whether it's brand specific, whether it's, you know, the whole portfolio, you know, customer experience is one of those things that we focus on a lot here. And, and I think, you know, any, any way that you can get those customers to come back and be a repurchaser and, uh, you know, cut down on that customer acquisition cost that a lot of e-commerce brands are looking at, you know, it starts with the supply chain. It doesn't end at the supply chain, but, you know, you want them to have the best experience, the best fulfillment experience as possible. So tell me a little bit about how you guys are, are solving for that and, and what you guys are doing. I think you hit the nail on the head, right? It starts with supply chain, but it doesn't end with supply chain. The way that we really look at it, if, if I'm explaining it to someone who doesn't know what I do, right? Run into them down the street, have no idea what's going on with what I do. Our brand team is essentially the CEO, right? They're making the decisions. They have the plan. They have the strategy of what they're going to do to deliver that excellent customer experience so that when you go into whatever marketplace you go into, you're like, yeah, that's the water bottle I want to buy or whatever product, right? Widget A, that's what I want. We, from a supply chain standpoint, essentially act as their COO then, right? We're in partnership with them. We are in lockstep. We know exactly what it is they're trying to accomplish what they're doing. And we're setting them up to succeed, right? We're making sure that, okay, this is the growth you want to hit. This is the experience you want to drive. This is what you think it's going to do. Let's have it. At the end of the day, the best customer experience is I need something. I go to where I think I can get it. It tells me that it's there and I can get it in a period of time that I want thanks to some big retailers out there, that's like in an hour, which is very difficult to accomplish sometimes, but that's what everyone's striving to, right? Like that's the gold standard that everyone's trying to get to, but it comes with a lot of effort. So when I think about the customer experience for us, we break it down into two parts. You have the end customer, the person that's trying to consume the product, but then you also have your internal customer and the end customer you always have to keep in mind because everything you should do should be for improving that customer experience. And so what I'm going to say may sound counter to that, right? It's not meant to be, but really what I'm really driving my team to do is let the brand team, who's the face to the customer, focus really hard on that. Understand from them what they need from you to set them up to succeed, right? So our obsession should be over the brand manager wants to accomplish A, B, C, and D. How do we make sure that we do that in a seamless manner? right? How do we help them think ahead of what's going on? Brand manager A may be focused, I have sales for this week, this month, this quarter, but we're working on a six-month time horizon because we're bringing stuff overseas through customs into 3PLs, trying to get to where it needs to be. So how do we help them think, okay, you know, that's great. We're on target for growth here. Have we thought about expanding to Canada? Have we thought about expanding to the UK? Because if we're going to do that, I have to take steps now. Is that something you want to do? And really helping take those same tenants and the same things you think about as someone who is cost, like end customer facing and applying that to the internal customer and saying like, okay, how do I bring value to you beyond just executing what I should do each day? And that's where we're trying to spend a lot of time as we've gotten out of this build phase in the first year with our internal processes into, okay, now how do we optimize and how do we figure out how to boost our internal serving to our, to our internal customers? Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of challenges in that. So we'll, we'll dive into the next segment, all about challenges right here. Houston, we have a problem. So Joe, tell me about you know, three, three challenges in the supply chain right now that you're seeing. 
for us, it's not dissimilar from what a lot of other people are seeing within the supply chain, but how those challenges apply to everybody, I think, is where where there's some some difference. So I'd say the first thing that we see that's a challenge that we're trying to figure out is the uncontrollables related to COVID, right? It's a topic that's talked about a ton, so I won't go super deep into it, but the landscape is ever-changing with it, right? Especially in the supplier community, we have new waves of lockdowns, closures, whatever your stance may be, right? China is an important sourcing base for a lot of companies, especially a lot of companies who are trying to be competitive within the e-commerce space. And so what does that mean for us, not just today, but what does it mean for us in Q4? Because orders we're making right now, based on lead times we saw last year and what we're anticipating for this year, you've got to be having those orders placed and leaving like now. So when we have a PO that got cut yesterday, and then today we find out that that supplier shut down and we don't really know when they're going to open up again. That's that's a major challenge, right? So now we got to start thinking about different things. How do we, how impactful do we think this is going to be? How much stock do we have? Do we need to start extending inventory? So I think that's one of the things that we talk about a lot. That's one of the things that's front of mind every single day when we're having internal conversations. Okay, how are we ensuring that come Q4 when it's go time, whether it's a seasonal brand or not, Q4 is important, right? How do we make sure we got what we need then and do it in a way that doesn't short sell us now? The second thing that I think is a challenge for us as well as everybody else is cost. So materials, warehousing, final mile, labor, all of it is rising, both macroeconomic, microeconomic factors that are playing in there. But like inflation and capacity constraints in both like space and labor are driving costs up massively. But consumers still have a lagging price expectation, right? So we feel it on the purchase. We feel it on suppliers or partners coming back to us and saying like, hey, this is the reality of what's happening right now. Like, we got to make some changes because we're not profitable and we're a business. But at the same time, I log in. I'm like, well, I bought this two months ago and it was like $2 cheaper. What the heck? And I'm going to go look for something else, even though I like the product. Like, that's just consumer behavior. So how do we balance that effectively without having too much downward compression on our contribution margin or our profitability? And then the last thing, probably a more evergreen challenge is complexity. And this is unique to us, not unique to us, but in this environment for us specifically, it's a challenge because our model is to acquire brands and our model is to acquire brands at a fairly rapid pace. So with that, our expectation is also that we bring them in to our domain and onto our platforms and onto our processes quick and seamlessly. So with each acquisition, we add some more complexity and we have to figure out how do we continually improve upon the processes that we have already, what we've experienced already from a supply chain perspective to be able to make the next acquisition smoother and smoother and build upon that. Because our expectation is when that deal is done and we start operating that brand either on its own or in conjunction with the founders who came on board with the brand, right? We're hitting the ground running from day one. We're not, there is no expectation that there's a step back and then a ramp up. It's, they ran it at 100% yesterday. We're running it at 105% today. And that's much easier said than done. So that's probably the, the third challenge that's a little bit more unique to, to unit brands and what we do in our space relative to what some other people may be going through with their supply chains. Yeah, I think about that, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur, it's almost like you have the ability to measure when you are scaling up, right? And, and you can build that, the stepping stools or, or stepping stones to to be able to scale that company up, right? It, especially if you're just building your own team and you're one brand and you're focused on call it six or seven SKUs and you know that's your life, right? But for you guys, it, it has to be somewhat challenging because you've got 
30 of those or 40 of those or 500 of those, right? And, and they're all individually built, running, and, and you know they have a great organization already and have gotten to a certain point. And now you're like, all right, we can't necessarily collapse all of this, right? We, we, but we want to improve you know, P&L, right? I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's how do you get profitable? You, you aggregate a bunch of the operations and put them all into the, the same sort of processes, right? Yeah, and I think that's one of the interesting things about a lot of people that are in a similar space as we are, but about Unibrand specifically is we're a full service platform, right? Because we operate them start to finish. So while it may not be an overnight switch that we can make on some supply chain topics, whether because of capabilities or because it doesn't make sense for certain brands to do that, right? Some brands come in and are, you know, could we optimize it? Yeah. Do we need to make major changes day one in supply chain? Probably not. But there are areas of the business where we can do those things. And that's where Unibrands can drive a lot of value from the supply chain side. You're right, right? It's super difficult to make some of those changes. If you have a brand that comes in that has cobbled together, let's say they have a fairly decent supply network, awesome, great. That's good. Relationships are good. That's fine. They're always going to the spot market and always shopping for rates on on containers. That's okay. But that means they're probably also doing the same thing with brokerage. And now there's some complexity there. Okay, we can figure that out. But then they've cobbled together a 3PL network with mom and pop shops, which all serve their purpose, right? Like everybody is making this. There's a reason that they're there and they're great and they do what they do really well. But that's super simple when you're one person running a brand and you just can have that knowledge of like, I know I got 100 units of all my SKUs at this building. Well, that's a little bit more difficult for us. We're trying to get a lot of visibility, bringing reporting. We're trying to report across our portfolio. We need a little bit more sophistication than that. But we can't just walk in day one and be like, hey, all 30,000 units you have in this building. Yep. Let's move them across the country. Uh, we have to be a little bit more thoughtful than that for a bunch of different reasons. So to your point, there's some stepping stones that need to happen for us as well. And that's part of the process that we go through when we evaluate, hey, what does it look like and what are expectations? But that's not that, that's something that's not unique to us. That's something that's going to happen with, with anyone that goes that goes through a, a similar either acquisition, whether it's just two brands merging together or it's someone like us who's doing it at a much larger scale. But that's one of the things that makes it fun to come back every single day for our team. I mean, the fact that we nerd out over this stuff and it's like, oh yeah, this is fun. It, it's wild to me, but it is fun. So I agree, right? What it is, is it's type two fun. It's absolutely miserable while it's happening, but it's really fun when we get onto a <laughs> podcast and we're talking about it and when you got stories going back and forth and you're reminiscing because you can look back and you've You've built something, you've accomplished something, you've had something going. I was explaining it to someone that I, I met the other day, like supply chain is like a lineman on a football team, right? Like you're always in the dirt, you're always in the mud, you're in the mix on every single play. Nobody knows who you are. And the running back or the quarterback's getting all the accolades when things go super well. But when something goes wrong, everybody's feeling the pain because you got the quarterback that got hurt because he just got blindsided and laying on the ground and everyone's going, oh, it was supply chain that missed the block. And it's the and it, sometimes it's right, sometimes it's the easy scapegoat, but it's what comes with the territory. But everybody could probably make the same analogy for their for their role or for their job, whatever it is that they do. But I think more so now than ever, people are starting to understand like, oh, like supply chain is important for these reasons, right? I won't say who the brand is specifically, but we, uh, my wife and I had had a child uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, you know, I work in supply chain and understand how things go. Did not think it was going to take like. 18 months longer than longer than my wife needed to to grow a healthy child and have her enter our family to deliver a chair 
we sat on the ground for a little bit at the beginning, right? So, you know, I think more people are having experiences like that and are starting to understand the impacts that are there. I was fortunate to go uh, study supply chain in undergrad. I went was fortunate to go to a program that, that's, that's pretty well known for it. And even the growth that's happening there that I see like coming out from an alumni standpoint is is impressive. And you see you know, I've been out of out of university for a while now, but you're starting to see all these other places that are popping up with these programs and there's a focus on it. And so I think it's great that you're getting a lot of talent that's rerouting from some other from some other areas that are coming to the supply chain field for sure. That's right. That's right. And back to your alignment analogy, maybe one day the, the supply chain team will will be able to sign a name, image and likeness deal and get all the credit. There you go instead of the quarterback and the receiver and the running back or or defensive stars. But anyway, that's a, another topic for another time. Moving on to our next segment, the venting couch. So talk, let me vent. Come on, vent. Go ahead, vent. I just needed to vent. Where'd you vent? Vent your frustrations. We all have had traumatic experiences when it comes to logistics, but it doesn't have to be that way. If you're ready to heal your relationship with your supply chain, check out store.com to learn more. Any stories you want to vent about? Yeah, I um, I thought about this question for a while, not because I was looking for an answer, but because I was trying to figure out which answer I was going to give. <laughs> that's what everyone says, which is awesome. I don't know if that's more telling about me or more telling about supply chain, but this was one where you know I, I had to think for a while. Like, hey, like, I was fortunate that you gave me prep on this one, and uh, just, just like, what, where am I going to go with this? And and I have a couple, but I think the one that I settled on that'll probably resonate most with the listeners is in a prior life, prior company, I had some, I had responsibility where I was running a distribution center, small final miles uh, distribution center. And in preparation for peak season, we added a part-time shift earlier in, uh, I'll say early in the day, but what we consider today to create more processing capacity. The shift was going to be 100% new hires, all seasonal labor that was coming in to help support the peak season, which was fine. Productivity targets, volume expectations, they were all adjusted to scale with that. But typically, the first day for someone would be orientation. And then day two is the first day on the floor processing. And the way that our normal cycle worked was that processing would start at 1 a.m. in my building and would dispatch same day for delivery same day. So therefore, typically when our labor planning teams hired, they would hire for dispatch day minus one as your start date. So you would come in, get your orientation, get everything you need. Here's your safety run through. Here's your training. And the good thing is that they did that. The problem is for the temporary shift, they were going to work a four hour shift from 8 p.m. the prior day to midnight to dispatch next day on our regular dispatch cycle. So therefore, they needed to be hired dispatch day minus two to get their orientation and their training before going into a live environment. Um, I did not realize that there was that disconnect between our planning team, our labor team. So maybe I did answer my question from earlier. Maybe this is a reflection of me on this story, but uh, <laughs> no. you know, missed that completely in the hoopla of everything that was going on. And so we had a small leadership team and training team that was ready for that group that was coming in, but we didn't have what our plan was for the rest of the week, which was some more seasoned labor that was going to pick up extra hours to help support in that first week of running. Around five o'clock, I was getting ready to go and we started to have trucks show up, which was earlier than we normally do. I'm like, what's going on? We're looking at labels and we're like, this is not the correct cycle. This cycle is starting tomorrow. 
And then we got a phone call from our outbound team that was confirming, hey, we're good to go with this many trucks for tomorrow. You guys are good, right? We're like, no, you don't need that for tomorrow. Uh, We started to piece everything together and figured out exactly what the problem was. So long story short, we had 25 people that had no idea what they were going to do. We had about two people that did know generally every role within the building, what was going on. We had a decent amount of volume that we thought was going to have to be for the next day that we needed to process right away. It was a long night, but the team, I was very fortunate to have a a, a really good team. Uh, We had a lot of people from our leadership team that came in on their days off. We had some uh, people that picked up some extra time from our core team that came in to support. Uh, It was not pretty. It was not smooth, but we got it all taken care of. But it was not the way that we wanted to start a peak season. It was my first peak season in a very operational environment. So that was a a tough reflection on the way home of like, who is this what the next like 35 plus days are going to look like? I don't know if I'm going to make it out the other end, but I'm here to tell the story now. So uh, it was good. But I think the, the lesson there was I if it's not standard business as usual, like double check everything and make sure that you know what's going on. Double check everything. And and the benefit is that you take care of your people and they'll be there to help you out when things go wrong, right? Well, good stuff. Yeah, for sure. I was, ve- I was very, very fortunate for that team. A different, different set of circumstances. I may still be there processing stuff on my own. <laughs> it could happen and and you mentioned 35 peak being 35 plus days now i mean now it's like it never ends right i mean you you see peak starting in october and it doesn't until maybe mid-february so the benefits of of living in the world we do moving on to the future Lessons learned from uh, the the last two years. You know, what have you learned? What are you changing up? What are you implementing? Obviously, there's been a, a lot of changes happening, and it's like every time you turn around, there's another new news story that you're trying to keep up with. But tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing and, and lessons learned. So, thinking through the last two years, you know, Unibrands has only been around for one of them, so I've only had one year of this in in the role that I'm in right now. But thinking back what I was doing prior to to Unibrands, it's now, I think, not just for us, but for a lot of companies, for a long time, there was this shift to the best supply chain companies in the world run lean, right? Let just in time, Six Sigma, Kaizen, everything, right? And I think there's a lot of people now that are going like, okay, that makes sense in some scenarios, but does it make sense everywhere? And is that applicable to me? And now there's a lot of talk between this concept of just in time versus just in case. And I think you're seeing a lot of people move to just in case. And that's something that we're thinking about too. And just in case doesn't mean that you're infloating your inventory or you're overbuying. It's making strategic decisions to understand, okay, what risks do I have in my supply chain? What uncertainty is there? How do I mitigate against that? So that if something goes wrong, if I get a container that's stuffed, if I have a shutdown at my, pr- my, my production, I'm not the guy on the sideline or the girl on the sideline with no inventory. And I'm just watching my sales go down and my search rank go down and my brand persona go away. And I think that that's something that we're work- looking at a lot. We're looking at, okay, where does it make sense for us to buffer up in our marketplaces so that we Maybe we're carrying the same amount of inventory end-to-end in our supply chain, but maybe we're inflating a little bit how much is at the 3PL node. And maybe we're that means we're running a little bit leaner within the marketplace that we're selling, but we have the inventory there and we're deploying a little bit faster. Or maybe we're making decisions of like, hey, when push comes to shove, it's all about 
efficient use of capital, this portfolio has got a pretty long tail. Do we need to do some rationalization? Just because something was selling before we acquired a company, was it really moving the needle? Do we need to look at that? Um, and that's not a, a decision that gets made in a silo from a supply chain standpoint, right? That should be made in partnership. We can help bring visibility to that. We can help bring you know, awareness to the costs of doing some of that, and then it's making that right decision. So I think for us, we're looking much more on, much less on that just in time and much more on that just in case. But again, that doesn't mean we're just overbuying our inventory. It's really taking a, a, a strategic look at, do we have, like I said at the very beginning, the right stuff in the right quantities, in the right place at the right time. And that'll change throughout the year. Right now, if you look, we probably have a lot more of our days of inventory that's on the water or just about to finish production versus in our 3PL or on Amazon. You talk to me a couple months from now, it's probably the exact reverse, right? And that's just the cycle of, of the demand curve, right? Yeah, I, I think of just in case, not only from a, you know, it's it's not, hey, we have a, we're buying a whole lot more inventory, we're putting it somewhere just in case. It's more of, it. it that's part of it, right? But it's also, you know, diversifying your network and and having different locations if there's a shutdown it somewhere in some country or some state or there's a covid outbreak or whatever outbreak there is and and that operation has to shut down that you're diversified enough so that you can continue to fulfill orders as well as you know you have to have the inventory there for for that all right joe let's wrap up here uh with some quick hitters that damn old rodeo These are my favorite types of questions. Really, you know, get to know you a little bit more. Um, favorite book to recommend? Favorite book to recommend is The Alchemist. Okay, that's that's an awesome one. Biggest misconception about the supply chain industry? That is a cost center, not a value differentiator. Love that. We're speaking the same language. If you didn't work in supply chain industry, where would you work and why? Counter, in second grade, what, what did you want to be when you grew up? In second grade... I wanted to be a professional skier, not a racer. I was, I grew up on the East Coast, so I am born from ice. I thought I was going to be a park skier and do tricks and be in the X Games. Me now, that I, it hurts thinking about it. So that's probably not, not my answer. But yeah, no, that's what I thought I was going to be. I still love skiing. I do it a lot differently and a lot more safer than I used to. But if I needed to make a paycheck, I probably would have found myself uh, doing something around code. I think that was one of those ones where coming out of school, it was starting to be a thing that everyone's like, hey, this is a skill that's going to be in demand. And I was like, old man Joe is like, no, it's not going to something historically good. And I'm glad I did what I did, but that's probably where I would be instead now. I probably would have been a software engineer too had I like heard about it and been on that path since I was like five. But I think that that ship sailed long before um, I even realized it. Anyway, um, last thing you bought online. <laughs> I bought a ring light so that my pale skin didn't come through on the video for this podcast. <laughs> the, the video that we're only showing certain parts of. That I love that. You wanted to get to know me better. Here's a glimpse into how my brain works. Of, of course. Of course. All right. Uh, last one here, or second to last one, top three dream dinner party guests, dead or alive? Not in order, but Jurgen Klopp, Anthony Bourdain, and Warren Buffett. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. And lastly, folks want to reach out, learn more about Joe, learn more about Unibrands. What's the best way to do that? Yeah. The best way to learn more about Unibrands is to go to our website. Uh, I believe it's just unibrands.com, uh, all lowercase. Well, I guess that doesn't matter for the internet, but all lowercase regardless, so that, that keep our branding on point. If you look for team happy there. To learn more about me, best place to go is to my LinkedIn. 
I have a very common name. It is going to be difficult to search, but I'm the only one that works at Unibrands. So you can put your search skills to the test. And then to reach out to me either through LinkedIn or my email, which is joe at unibrands.com. All right. I'm going to sneak one last one in. Prediction for the Penn State Nittany Lions football record in 2022. We'll do what we do every year. It's going to look really, really good. And then it's going to not be so great and then end up fine. So I think we'll end up somewhere around uh, probably 10 wins. T- 10 and 2, 9 and 3. I, I, I would agree with that. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Joe, for joining today. Thanks, Alex. Looking to sell your Amazon FBA or Shopify D2C business? We are your best buyer. Not only do we understand the power, growth potential, and value of e-commerce brands on and off Amazon, we have years of experience in buying, integrating, and building digital brands at a fast pace. Utabrands is a fully integrated platform aimed to buy, build, and boost brands on and off Amazon. We are fair, fast, and reliable, and with us, your brand will reach new heights. Thanks for listening to this episode of Supply Chain Therapy, a podcast brought to you by Stored. Make your supply chain a competitive advantage. Go to stored.com to learn more.